If you like these types of stories and want more content please go to the link in the description and buy me a coffee to support the podcast so I can get super caffeinated and awake to pump out the content. I honestly need a new computer for better sound editing and a microphone so you can hear my beautiful voice. If you are unable to do so I completely understand. Just sharing this podcast everywhere you can is so appreciated. I truly appreciate you and let's do this. All Carol knew was rejection, molestation, and violence as a child. She thought she found the truth in witchcraft until the spirits turned on her. Abusive, dysfunctional, these are terms we hear quite a bit. But Carol, we have to come up with a new adjective to describe your home. Tell me about your mom. My mother was probably one of the most violent women I have ever met. Said when the weekends would come, my mom and dad would drink excessively and they would come home from bars four o'clock in the morning. When I'd be lying in my bed and all our, the children in the house, because it was a large family of 10 and we lived in a little cracker box. And at four o'clock in the morning, we would wake up as children almost like clockwork. We would just sit up in our beds because we knew any moment it was gonna start. And you'd see the lights of the car come up the driveway and mom and dad would come in. And from the moment they walked through the door, it was a reign of terror. She would break everything. I mean, every dish out of the cupboard. She would pick up beer bottles and smash them against the wall. She would throw forks that would land in his chest. She would throw, I remember we had a gold glass ashtray and it sailed through the air and us little children would come out of our bunk beds and we'd come down to the end of the skinny little hall and we'd be screaming, no mommy, no daddy. And I would be shielding with my older brother and sister, the small children, so they wouldn't get hit by the ashtrays. There would be things throwing, flying through the air, Sid, everywhere and then all of a sudden you'd see the red and blue light which indicated that the police were coming and to us children in the middle of that violence it was almost like a peace sign because here would come the police up the driveway and they'd knock on the door and they'd come and they'd say mr and mrs thompson that was our, my maiden name mr and mrs thompson we come here every weekend the house would be a wreck my mother's clothes would be ripped off she'd be walking around exposed my father would have blood all over his face there'd be blood on the wall it was a terrible and, and i hate to say this um, but did you think this was almost the normal way to live or did you knew, know something was wrong i think for a long time said we thought it was the normal way to live and then when you started going to other children's house and you saw parents touching their children, showing love toward their children. Did they ever touch you and show love? Sid, my memory of my mom, and this is the truth, when I was a little girl, she, we used to sit on the floor in the living room, there were like 10 of us in a small house again, and I'd be watching TV, and all of a sudden on the clear blue sky in the dark from the couch, she'd come, her, I'd feel her hand swinging through the air, all you'd see is the wind, and her fist would hit my mouth, and the blood would just trickle down my face, and my lips would blow up. My mom was so violent that one time I asked her if I could go to a baseball game or something with the kids in the neighborhood. And for daring to ask her why when she said no, she took, you know those squeegees you use to wash a windshield, right. one side, sure. you wash the other side, you rub it mm -hmm. off with the rubber end? Said she beat me so bad till I was black and blue from my neck to my waist. And out of curiosity, what was her background that caused her to act like that? Did she have an abusive 
family? I guess she must have. Yeah, she came as an illegitimate child out of three children. She never knew that the man who was raising her was not her daddy. One day he cornered her to beat her, and she picked up a knife and threatened him, don't you hit me, you're not my father. So she always felt that rejection, that she wasn't loved, because she too was, you know, she lived in a family where she didn't feel loved. So when she had these, all these ten children, I mean, my mother had children since she was 19, every single year. She was like a gerbil. She had children every single year. So here she was, a young woman with nine children in this tiny little house and the only extracurricular activity was alcoholism. Now, why didn't your father come against this? My dad was mentally ill. When my father was about 28 years old, he became very ill in his kidneys. He went into the hospital and was about 35 to have an operation. While he was there, they gave him an anesthetic. They had tried a brand new anesthetic on him. Sid, it made him totally crazy. He dismissed himself from the hospital after the operation. He came home. He started beating the children up trying to choke my mother, hanging himself in the cellar. One particular time when my mother had been out all night, because my mom ran around all the time. She had a fair after fair. In fact, out of all 10 children, it was believed that I was the only one who wasn't really my father's child, that I was born out of one of her affairs. But one day she was out all night with a man and my dad was home alone and he was on a drug called Thorazine and the reason he took that was because of his mental state. And he would escape from mental institutions and come home. And this was one night he had escaped from the mental institution and was home. And she was gone all night with a man. Well, he had fallen asleep on the couch with the Thorazine and the alcohol content in his body. It put him in a terrible state. And I heard a screeching in the living room. And one of the little kids came and woke me up. They said, Carol, the house is on fire. So I shuffled off the bunk bed and got all my little brothers and sisters out. And I started to try to get them out of the house. We lived in Buffalo. It was the middle of the night. The snow was three feet high. Right. It's and cold there. Oh, so cold. And when I tried to get them out, my dad got up in this drunken, demonic state, this, this state of, of drug-induced state, and he blocked the exit of the house. And we, I was trying to get the children to climb over him, and he was growling in this mental state. And I said, Dad, please, the house is on fire. We can't get out. We can't breathe. So he put us in the cellar next to a furnace. And he started another couch on fire with the hopes that the whole house would explode and that all of us would die in it. I can remember being woke up one time, sit at about 4 o'clock in the morning and brought out into the kitchen. My daddy didn't like me out of any of those kids because he knew that I was somebody else's. And he brought myself and my little sister Debbie out. Mm -hmm. And we were standing in the kitchen and he handed me a cup of poison to drink. My mother and my poison? father, so help me, mom and dad was standing there, it was poison. And he said, my mother went to give it to my little sister Debbie. This is how insane and dysfunctional mm -hmm. this home was. And my father said, don't give it to her, give it to her. And so this little pink Melmac cup, I'll never forget, it was handed to me. And as I put it to the, my mouth and I could feel the poison burning my mouth, my mother in a last moment in a drunken state hit it out of my hand and said, you'd feed her poison? And he said, I would kill her. There was so much dysfunction, Sid, that eventually incest crept into the home. I remember I used to lay in bed in the middle of the night and hear my sister on the top bunk, my dad's natural daughter, scream as he would rape her. My mother would be gone all night and I would be afraid to do anything because what could I say to my dad? I'd hear her crying, no daddy, no daddy. And after he'd leave, she'd come down and cuddle in my bed and cry because of the molestation. Then it began to go through the family. My older brother began to molest all of us children. The molestation began to flow through the family. When I went to my mom and told her that my dad was raping my older sister, I was beaten for it, not only by her, but for my father. Why? Because I dared to suggest that something like that was going on. So it was alcoholism, violence, mental illness, sexual abuse, and emotional abuse. Sid, in the years that I spent in that house, 
I can't remember once my mother ever walking up to me and ever touching me uh, other than to hit me or to correct me or to rebuke me for something I was doing. I was scared to death of my mother and certainly afraid of my dad. So I got to the point where I said, one of these days, when I'm old enough, no matter what it takes, pregnancy or what, I'm getting out of here. And I'm going to find two things. I'm going to find power and I'm going to find love. You see, my mom was into spiritualism and she used to go to a place called Lilydale in Jamestown, New York. It was a self-contained spiritualist camp. And she would go there and hear all these past, present, future things, tea leaves and cards. Mm -hmm. And she'd come home with mirac this miraculous stories, actually, of these things that were going to happen in our home and said they'd happen. And I would go to church on Sunday and I'd be sitting on this pew looking up at this dead man on a cross and I'd say, where are you? Who are you? And I would think he's dead. He's a big plastic depiction of a man who's dead. Why? Why'd you think that? Because I always thought, where are you when my brother's molesting you, me? Where am, are you when my mommy's slapping me? Where are you when my father's beating me for nothing? Where are you when we're hungry? Where are you when there is no milk in the house and there is no cereal? No one explained anything to me, so I left it at, he's dead and I'm going to find power. So my mother coming home with spiritualist stories intrigued me. And I would think, that's where the power is. They know things that nobody else knows, so that's where the power is. When I was barely out of my teens, I got pregnant with my first child. My mother literally, physically said, removed me out of the house by my hair. I was thrown out. I went into the well, streets. No, the streets? Yes. It must be a very, I mean, it was scary in the home. Maybe the streets were better than your home, from what you told me. It seemed like sense. it was a little safer. Yeah. <laughs> and there I could fight back. If I got into a confrontation, I could fight back. I never raised my hand to my mother or my father. I didn't dare because I knew it would cost me. But when I had my first child, she was about three months old. I was living in a little cold water flat, and she was down in a little uh, runabout. Mm -hmm. And I found out I was pregnant for the second time. I was living a very promiscuous lifestyle. So they sent a woman to my house who gave illegal abortions. She came into my home with a little brown paper bag, dirty fingernails. She was hunched over. She was about 68 years old. And she came up the stairs of this cold water flat in Buffalo, laid me on the bed, examined me very quickly, took a long rubber hollow tube out of the, out of the brown bag, inserted a long piece of wire into the yellow tube, and went inside my body, stabbing at least three different times. She released the, the wire and left the yellow tube and said, you will experience your first abortion. The baby will die by bleeding. That was my first experience oh. with abortion. Now, how in the world were you able to cope with yourself and your daughter I on wasn't. the streets? I wasn't. Well, I was living in a cold water flat at this time. And then the, the New York State took my little girl away from me. I became an instant alcoholic and began to tamper Did with Did it drugs. bother you at that time that uh, they took your daughter away? I mean, it seemed to me no, there was a relief. Sid, I came from a home where I didn't know the meaning of love. I thought love was getting drunk and raping your daughter or slapping you in the face or saying, I didn't have you because I loved you. You were an accident. That's what I thought love consisted of. I thought power was some tea leaves written or some psychic cards written. That's what I thought power and love was. I was totally confused. Were you ever hugged? I don't mean in a sexual way, but I mean hugged in a loving way as a no. child. No, no, Sid, no. Sid, I would have gave my arm up to here if my mother would have just touched me lightly. It was basically either you saw a hand coming or you saw a fist coming or a belt coming. And there were times I had spankings coming. Don't think they were just beating me day and night. There were times when I disobeyed and was rebellious and had a spanking coming. But the majority of them, they weren't warranted. When I finally got out of there and after the first abortion and my child being taken away, I became increasingly dependent on drugs. I became pregnant for the third time. This time I went into the 
Larkin Building on Seneca Street in Buffalo, New York, and stood at the top of 30 concrete stairs and in a desperate attempt because of the inconvenience inside my body, because I didn't think anybody loved me and I wasn't worth anything, and they had taken the first child and I had boarded the second. My mother didn't love me, my dad didn't care, and he already was in a mental institution permanently. I threw myself down 30 concrete stairs. Sid, I rolled like a bowling ball down those stairs and landed at the bottom in shock. I was in complete shock, shaking. They rushed me to Buffalo General Hospital. And when they checked me, they said that this leg, I had done damage to it. They said, you're also pregnant. I said, if you don't give me an abortion, I'll go to the top floor, to the roof, and I'll jump off. Carol, hold that thought. I'm gonna tell you something. There are so many people that are watching us right now that have so much hurt inside. Carol understands this hurt and understands the answer. You'll hear it when we come back. <sighs> Abusive, dysfunctional, she needs a new adjective. She's got her third pregnancy. She tells the people in the hospital she'll literally go to the top floor of the hospital and jump if they don't give her an abortion. You really said that. I meant it. You, you didn't care whether you lived or died, did you? I had absolutely said I used to always refer to myself as the dirt on the bottom of the, someone's shoe and that the best thing for me would be to die. So when I told them that, they realized how serious I was. They sent me two psychiatrists because at the time they gave therapeutical abortions. The Roe versus Wade hadn't come into effect mm -hmm. as of yet, so they gave therapeutical abortions. If you these two psychiatrists deemed you unable to carry the child, then they gave you the abortion. They came and I'll never forget it, said the guy pounded on his little pad like you got there, listened to me for two and a half minutes, you are totally dysfunctional, absolutely unstable, permit abortion. The second guy came in, did the same thing, pounded his pencil, he looked up, he said, just give her an abortion. I received what they call a DNC. It was my second abortion. When I left the hospital, I was so broken by that time helplessly addicted to drugs. I got what they call peritonitis, and it is a very severe infection in your innards. It almost killed me. When I got out of the hospital with peritonitis, I left for New York City. I spent 11 days there and learned how to be a heroin addict. They found me in the Brentwood apartments after 11 days walking around New York City aimlessly, lying in a pool of my own body secretion. They washed me up, put me on a train, and sent me back to Buffalo and New York, where I continued to grow in my drug addiction. Now I was a needle freak. I was pushing needles and how, how were you supporting your habit? I never got into prostitution, but I always found a way of either stealing or working as best I could or begging for enough money or using welfare checks that I was getting to live on because I, was, I couldn't work. I was very, very sick physically. So that I would also use to get my drugs. I met a young girl named Linda. And Linda was into what she called white witchcraft. And this is important mm -hmm. that your audience listen to this part because there is no such thing as white witchcraft. Witchcraft is witchcraft. So white Samantha, the, the friendly witch you're telling me mm -hmm. is not a friendly power? No, sir. She's operating in demonic powers given to her and able to express these powers in her psychic by spirits. And so I began to be very interested in power because remember I was looking for love and power and I sure wasn't finding love. I was sleeping around, living a terribly promiscuous lifestyle and only getting hurt more. Now here I was looking for power and she's telling me I can have all kinds of power. 
Well, I was enamored with the idea. I got all the books you kid on witchcraft out of California. Louise Hibner was the top witch of the day. I studied everything there was to know about tarot cards, card reading, everything to know about astral projection, Tibetan Book of the Dead, Buddhism, anything there was to know about spirit guides. And what I would do is I would astral project out of the body, enabling spirits to come in. Because in witchcraft, I believed that if I could get my own spirit, I, I could be empowered by bringing spirit guides in. Now understand, I was of the mind that these spirits that were coming in spirit guides were nice spirits that had, were people that had passed away throughout the centuries. There, there's a nice word that's used on most TV. It's called channeling. Mm. Is that what you were doing? I was doing that as well. But what would happen with me is I would begin to gargle these voices almost demonically. They would come out in a demonic sound. And so now here I was so interested in witchcraft. Here I was in Buddhism, reincarnation, planning to kill myself so that I could, I could Go back, in, reincarnation means reincarnate means enter back into life, return to the flesh. Mm -hmm. So I believe that if I killed myself, I'd be born inside the womb again, and through the Tibetan Book of the Dead, I would learn that soul migration, be born into the earth, and have another chance. Have a better mother, have a better father, not be a drug addict. So I became very, very studious about astrology, witchcraft, card reading, and that card reading became my niche. Sid, I would walk into a room with a deck of cards and read everybody's mail, just by that deck of cards. And I thought I was the best thing since the McDonald's hamburger. I thought I had finally come to a mm -hmm. place of prominence because I could intimidate people. I could make them afraid of me because I was operating in these powers. And I never knew they were demonic or evil. I thought that I had come into this great power that I had been looking for. The trouble is, when you play with the devil, he doesn't play fair. He'll give you everything you want, all the drugs you want, all the women you want, all the promises, and all the power you want. And when he's done with you, he'll kick the legs out from under you. It sounds like the Broadway play Damn Yankees, where they <laughs> sell their soul to uh, the, the devil and they become a champion baseball player. I never saw that, but that's interesting. And that's why you hear rock stars sometimes say, I sold my soul to the devil. Mm -hmm. Because once you make that, that trade, he'll give you what you want. But people need to understand that the devil is not sharing his kingdom with anyone. He's selfish and hateful, and his personality is that of hate and violence. And so as I began to encounter these spirits from a pleasant person, even though I was a fall-down drug addict, I began to get, take on the personality of the devil. I began to act. I began to hate. I began to become violent in my what do you card mean began readings. to hate? You, were, you, must have, you, you had hate no all love anyway. You at all. Really? Oh, hate all the more. And I love to see people hurt. Like, I'd like to do a card reading where I knew a man was committing adultery. I'd name names. And it was just an evil behavior. <laughs> and so here I was with these spirits operating in this park, cursing people. I cursed one man's city, fell three stories into a wheelbarrow. Thank God that wheelbarrow was there because he would have been killed. I was astral projecting. I was studying all this witchcraft. I thought everything was wonderful. The same spirits, as you said in the opening, that gave me power began to turn on me. Why would they turn on you? Because the personality of spirits of darkness is not a nice, friendly personality. You can tell even my people that are deeply involved in witchcraft, the way they dress, the way they act, ghoulish and black nails and dark colors and very strange it, it, in their acting. Is it like, I used to watch westerns as a kid, and in the western, a new guy comes into town and goes and plays poker and he wins. And the next day he said, boy, these are country bumpkins. I'm going to take them for all they're worth. And he bets everything he has and the game is fixed and he loses everything he has. Excellent. And that's exactly the way it happened. So that's excellent. And that's exactly what had happened to me. I thought I had arrived. 
But as these spirits began to turn and to torment, the same spirits that gave me power to read cards and mm -hmm. astral project and operate in the solical power, the psyche power, would turn on me. What does that mean? What do you mean, turn on you? It was as if all of a sudden the same voices that would say this man is committing adultery or this woman steals at work or this girl's going to get married last year when I was reading cards would now say to me, you should die. It's better to really? just die. Said I would walk around with a gun in my mouth. I can remember the metal used to burn my tongue. I would just suck on a gun waiting for the moment to stop this power that I had entered into, to stop the destruction of my mind. My drugs increased. I would take needles, Sid, and people that were the worst drug addicts in town would not get high with me. I would go into a bathroom and take a needle and bang it into my arms. I had thick growths all the way down. Today you can see they're totally gone, but thick growths and abscesses all the way up and down my arms. In that drug state, I'd go out and become even more promiscuous, hoping that someone would just love me for a little while. And that's what our kids are doing today, Sid. They want somebody to love them for 15 minutes. That's why sex has become an everyday movement. I mean, it's nothing to be 11 years old and to go to bed with your boyfriend that you go to school with. And so here I was nailing myself with needles, blood coming out, demon possessed from the, 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 the spirits that I had invited inside, broken. In one particular time in, in all this story, they locked me up in a mental institution. Sid, they locked me behind a metal door. That's how crazy I got. My arms were full of needle marks. My nose was full of blood from cocaine. They put me in a room, locked me in because I had now had serum hepatitis, which you get from filthy needles. So they had locked me in a mental institution in the K Ward in Meyer Memorial Hospital in Buffalo, New York, with needle marks, with mental crazy screaming in my head, giving me a liquid diet to try to clear up the hepatitis. When they finally let me out, I became pregnant again. Oh, no. This time, I went to the, Buff the Erie County State Building in Buffalo, New York, and got a legal abortion. Said so when I left that medical building that day after that abortion, and still to talk about it, it, it hurts a little. I remember sitting down for the first time and saying, I wanted that baby. That baby I wanted, because I felt like I had such a low opinion of myself that maybe this child could change things for me. Of course, it was too late. So here I was, I had had three abortions, a child that was taken away from me. I was hopelessly drug addicted, and the doctor comes to me, and he says to me, you have chronic active hepatitis. Your enzymes are right off the hinges. You probably What, have what does that mean, chronic? It means hepatitis. that, chronic means it's constantly going on. Active means it's happening right now, and hepatitis B is a very serious form of hepatitis. He told me that my liver was turning into a piece of leather. It was in that state that I decided that it didn't matter if I lived. I increased my drugs, I increased the insanity, increased the promiscuous life, increased hatred, was full of violence, and totally suicidal. And then one day, standing in a bar, standing in a bar, serving drinks, stealing from the place, everything they had, stealing and lying and getting high in the bathroom, a young woman approached me named Linda Smith. And you know what, Sid? She really believed in the power of God. She knew I'd experienced the power of darkness, that I knew it was out there, that it worked. But she wanted me to see a higher power, a greater power, that superseded the power that I was operating in. So what did you think of this, Linda? I thought that she talked the talk and didn't just, she walked the walk and just didn't talk the talk. A lot of people talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. And Linda just showed 
the love of God in the way she acted. She didn't come out with all these spiritual lingo comments. Yeah, but you told me as a kid you didn't care for this Jesus guy. Because now I was at a place, she was introducing a man to me, a man that didn't rape you, beat you, use you, put you on the streets and stick needles in your arms. A man that was the son of God who loved you for the way you are, not for 15 minutes, loved you for who you were, and who was able to reach down in that liver and reconstruct it, reach into that belly full of blood from bleeding ulcers, reconstruct and heal that, reach into a mind that was mentally ill, reconstruct that, reach into a heart that's broken, and put it all back together, just because he's a man who loves mankind, because he was the Son of God. How did how'd that happen? She took me to church. She took me up to Pastor Why Tommy Why did you Reed's go church. to church? Because I was dying because and there was no hope. I figured I'm going to die anyway. Let's go see. And you know what really influenced me, to be very honest, yes. in the last few minutes of this program? She acted like a person who didn't just put on a facade of Christianity. She lived it. She walked it. She didn't want to impress anybody, Said She wanted to introduce to a dying, demon-possessed tramp witch. She wanted to introduce that human being to a man who changed her life. You went into that church. I walked what in. happened? I was dressed lewd. I had demons in my eyes. They were screaming all Most over my mind. Most pastors would kick you out. Well, some of them wouldn't have anything to do with <laughs> me. But Sid, in a very quick moment, I know we're coming to the end of your program, in a quick moment, the man on the platform said, if you need God to touch you, if you need healing in your body, come on up. I took the longest walk of my life. When I got to the platform, and to this day it brings tears to my eyes, Jesus Christ was waiting for me. Within an instant, within an instant, and I have medical reports, in a moment of a prayer of 1,800 strangers who didn't know my first name, the church stood forth, the blood-bought church began to sing the blood of Jesus. And in a moment, when they began to call on the name that people curse, the name of power and ability. My liver was healed, my stomach was healed, my mind was restored, and I left that church, it said, never to be the same. From that time, the day I left that church, a process of healing began. What about drugs? I was instantly delivered. I had, it said, no cold turkey. That means to come off a drug. None of that. I was instantly delivered from drug addiction, instantly delivered from mental illness, instantly delivered from chronic active hepatitis, instantly delivered from peptic bleeding ulcers. And the Holy Spirit, the only spirit that lives in me now, you can have all those other demons, the only spirit that lives inside me now, and the power and the supernatural anointing began a process of de demons coming out, releasing out of this temple. The only spirit in me now, sir, is the spirit of God, and my life has been changed ever since. My mother got saved. My brother Ronnie got saved from homosexuality. Wow. My father got saved. They all got saved. Let me tell you something. If you like these types of stories and want more content, please go to the link in the description and buy me a coffee to support the podcast so I can get super caffeinated and awake to pump out the content. I honestly need a new computer for better sound editing and a microphone so you can hear my beautiful voice. If you are unable to do so I completely understand. Just sharing this podcast everywhere you can is so appreciated. I truly appreciate you and let's do this.